Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. A house divided against itself cannot stand. Those are famous words, and and although I don't know this, I would imagine that if you went out among the, the general public and asked them who first said those words, I think most people would probably recognize them from Abraham Lincoln. And it's true, Lincoln famously used those words in his address to the the Illinois Republican Party in 1858 after they nominated him to be candidate for U.S. Senate. And Lincoln at the time was prophetically speaking against the assumed notion in the United States that every state should decide for itself what to do regarding the issue of slavery. In distinction, Lincoln was saying that the U.S. had to be all one thing or all the other. A house divided cannot stand. And prophetic his words were, as just three years later, the U.S. began its own civil war. But we know, as we heard this morning, that Abraham Lincoln was quoting from Scripture that day, specifically from Mark chapter 3, that these words are the words of Jesus. But what's significant is that while Lincoln and Jesus were using the same words, they were actually using them in two entirely different ways. And that's something that we're going to make sure to note today. Lincoln was speaking to a country that was growing more and more divided until it finally went to war. But for Jesus, he was actually talking about something quite the opposite. But in order to more fully understand what Jesus was talking about, we we do need to back up a bit and understand where these words of Jesus take place. It's it's very near the beginning of his earthly ministry, and already Jesus has been quite busy. He has battled Satan in the wilderness after his baptism. He has called his first disciples. He has cleansed incurable diseases. He has challenged the Pharisees on their understanding of God's word, and he has cast out demons who couldn't help but bend to the authority of the Son of God, whom they themselves confessed. Jesus did all this, all the while proclaiming the good news that he has come to bring the reign and rule of God, and he alone has the power and authority to not only save physically, but to save eternally. Jesus did have the power to forgive sins, which really irked the Pharisees, because, as they rightly said, actually, only God has the authority to forgive sins. And you see, that was the point. Either the Pharisees and the scribes needed to confess that Jesus was indeed God, or they had to come up with some other explanation for all the things that they were seeing and hearing from him. And that's what we hear in our gospel reading today. You see, they chose option B. He is possessed by Beelzebul, they said. And by the prince of demons, he cast out demons. In other words, Jesus is doing all this because he is working on behalf of Satan. He is doing this with demonic power. Now, unless we throw too many stones at only the the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders... Consider again what we heard immediately before they said that. 
When Jesus was coming home to Nazareth, his family finally caught up with him, including Mary, his mother, and his brothers, and they intended to seize him and take him away because they thought he was out of his mind. No one did what Jesus was doing. It wasn't normal. So either he was out of his mind or he was possessed by a devil. That's all that anyone could come up with in order to explain Jesus. But of course, it wasn't either of those. And to prove it, Jesus famously says, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is coming to an end. You see, Jesus wasn't saying that Satan's house was divided. He was, state, he was stating that Satan couldn't afford to have his house divided and that's why Jesus couldn't be casting out demons by the prince of demons. Satan cannot cast out Satan. Now, there's two very important things that we need to take away from this proclamation by Jesus. The first is, if Jesus wasn't out of his mind, which he clearly wasn't, and Jesus isn't casting out demons by the power of Satan, then how is he doing it? Who is Jesus that he has this power and authority to do such things? That was the most important question in Jesus' day, and that is still the most important question in our day as well. Who is Jesus? We'll come back to that in just a moment. The second thing that we take away from this proclamation by Jesus is that unlike Abraham Lincoln who is talking to a deeply divided United States, Jesus is making the point that Satan's house is not divided. Satan is quite united in his opposition to God and to his son and to all who are a part of his house, his kingdom. And for us today, we need to take note of that because we need to consider then the serious implications of what that means for us. The devil loves to divide, but he himself is not divided. He's too crafty and wise for that. He also knows he's not able to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with God. He is, after all, only a creature created by God, but fallen in rebellion against God. But the devil's goal is to take down as many of us as he can while he's going down. Therefore, he did put into motion an ancient time ago a plan where he could do just that. And so he met Adam and Eve in the garden, and he cast doubt in their minds about God and his word, and he tempted our first parents into sin, and they truly were divided from God. God was walking in the garden one day, and for the first time in human history, Adam felt fear. He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, God. And I was afraid. The sin that we naturally inherit from Adam and Eve, the sin that we ourselves commit every day, it is no small matter. It's not a simple oops that we can then just move on from. There are serious and eternal 
consequences for sin. It's never something that we or that God takes lightly. We are those who deserve eternal separation from God, eternal condemnation on account of our sin. And the devil couldn't have been happier that day when he saw us divided from God. But did you hear God's words in our Old Testament reading? Did you notice that it focuses specifically on what God said to the serpent, to the devil himself? This is what God said. I will put enmity, division, between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You see, it was the devil who desired to put enmity, to put, to put division between us and God. And it seemed like he succeeded, at least at first. But God turns right around immediately there in the garden and proclaims, No, you did not put enmity between me and my children. It may seem like you did by tempting them into sin, but I will overcome it for them. It is I who will put enmity between you, Satan, And then you will be divided from them. You will not prevail over them. And it's in that moment for the first time in all of Scripture, as early as Genesis chapter 3, as soon as sin entered the picture, that the antidote, the Savior, Jesus Christ, is promised and proclaimed. God says, he shall bruise your head, Satan, and you shall bruise his heel. The offspring of the woman is Christ, and he would be bruised upon his heel. He would be nailed to the cross. And the devil undoubtedly was dancing that day as well, because as he saw the Son of God bloodied and dying on the tree, he probably thought he had won again. But what he failed to see was that this was the fulfillment of Genesis chapter 3, that while Jesus' heel might have been bruised, Satan's head was about to be crushed. And this brings us back then our gospel reading to Mark chapter 3. Jesus is saying that there is a prince of demons in this world and, and he thinks he has power over you and me being able to separate us from God on account of our sin. He loves to remind you of your sin. He is called the accuser. He accuses you of your guilt night and day. He is quite wise. He is quite strong. He is the strong man. As Jesus says. But Jesus also says, No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. You see, what Jesus was telling the Pharisees and the scribes and even his own family, that Jesus was performing these miracles and casting out demons, and he was doing so because he was waging war against the house of Satan. Jesus was actively binding the strong man so that he may plunder his house. And do you know what Jesus was after? Do you know the goods that the devil was desperately trying to protect from Jesus? It was you, and it was me. 
The devil was trying to keep us from God, but he was no match for Jesus. During Jesus' entire life and ministry, Jesus would continue to bind Satan, casting out demons, waging battle until the decision point, the final decision point, came at the cross, where the victory was either going to be won or lost. And with all the authority and all the power of God himself, Jesus laid down his perfect life on our behalf as the price for all of our sin and the price for the sin of the whole world, all of our weaknesses and our failings, all the enmity that comes between us and God, all the division that we ourselves introduce between one another, Jesus did away with it all. And by doing so, we are now reconciled with God and with one another on account of the forgiveness that Jesus won for us. I'd like to, just as an aside, take a brief moment to mention something that comes up in our gospel reading. Something that causes a lot of questions, usually when it does come up. It's either called the eternal sin or the unforgivable sin. And Jesus mentions it here, and naturally we have questions. What is the unforgivable sin? When people hear that phrase, they think, oh dear, I hope I haven't committed the unforgivable sin. Like it's something we might accidentally do. But it's not. As many have often said, and they're absolutely right about this, if you're worried about committing the unforgivable sin, then you haven't committed it. The sin is that, that is not forgiven is this, that where forgiveness is given, forgiveness is then rejected by us. It's blaspheming the Holy Spirit saying, you have no power or ability to create faith or forgive sins for me. It's saying thanks, but no thanks to God. It's a conscious rejection of what God offers, the eternal salvation he has given freely in Christ. But for all those who look to Christ and the cross, knowing that we are sinners and we need his forgiveness, then that is the person precisely whom Jesus has come to offer himself. He is the one whom Christ offers himself to forgive and to plunder from Satan's house. Now the next thing that someone may be thinking at this point is that all of this is, is wonderful. All of this is Good And it is, uh, you might be thinking, I believe, of course, that Christ came and, and saved me from sin and from death and the devil. I believe that his was the perfect atoning sacrifice for me. But when I think about Christ binding the devil and, and winning the victory, and then I look outside and I see everything that's going on out there and all the evil that still exists and, and the days when it seems like we are still so divided. Where is Christ's victory then? Well, to that, let me say two things. First, we must understand the nature of our captivity to Satan in order to fully understand the nature of the freedom we have in Christ. Let me say that again. We need to understand the nature of our captivity to Satan in order to understand the nature of our freedom in Christ. 
You see, going all the way back to the garden, Satan knew that in order to divide us from God, there was only one way that could, that could happen. He wasn't going to divide us by taking away our, our comforts, our wealth, all our material possessions. No, the only way he could divide us from God was tempting us to sin, sin which brings death. He tried to put enmity between us and God on account of our sin. And it's true, sin does divide us from God. Sin kills us in both body and soul. And the devil knows it. Like we sang in our opening hymn, A Mighty Fortress, and take they our life, goods, fame, child, and wife. The devil will stop at nothing to get you away from God. But then we sang the following words. Though these all be gone, our victory has been won. The kingdom ours remaineth. In other words, the victory that Christ has won isn't to secure for you worldly prosperity and peace. Now, we give thanks to God when we have those things, but they are not guaranteed in this temporary time. No, Christ's victory was far more meaningful than anything this world has to offer. It's far more lasting. Jesus came to address our true and eternal problem, the problem of our sin. And so the victory he won takes away the wages of sin, which is death, away from us. Jesus has won the victory over sin at his cross and by his resurrection. Jesus has won the victory over Satan. Jesus has won the victory over death itself. Because in, even in the face of death, we know that we will live forever. That brings me to the second thing that we consider as we consider Christ's victory, even when in this world it seems hard to see at times. And that is that the victory of Christ, which is most assuredly complete, that victory is waiting to be fully and finally revealed on the day when Jesus returns. You see, although we may not see it fully now, we will see it. You will see it with your own eyes, the day when Jesus will raise your body from the grave and when you will live in perfection with him, the day when there will be no more disease and no more death, no more division caused by Satan and the enmity that he loves to sow in your life, Satan will be no more. And you will dwell with your God in the home that he has prepared, a house not built with hands in the new heavens and the new earth. And so then that leaves us just one final thing to discuss today. And that is, knowing all this, and knowing full well the victory that Christ has won for us, how then shall we live? How shall we live in this time when Satan is very much still on the prowl, dividing this world left and right, and yet we know that the victory has been won by Christ, and our sins are forgiven, and we are awaiting our eternal future with him? How then shall we live now? Well, to put it simply, we live as a house that is no longer divided. We've already discussed that Satan's house is not divided. He is certainly defeated, however. And Christ has now united us. 
He has united God's family, God's house, by his death and his resurrection. We are now united with God. We are united with one another. Even when Jesus' own family was divided about him, what did he say? He looked around him at the crowd and he said, Look, here are my mother and my brothers. Jesus looks at you and he says, You are my brothers and my sisters. This is my family. And we live in a world that does know only pain and suffering and division apart from God. I don't even need to begin to go into and tell you how divided this world is. We all see it. We even feel it in our own families and in our own homes. But the house of God, which is built upon Christ, the cornerstone is never divided. And the reason is because we have Jesus. Jesus has forgiven our sins. And he has given us, his family, the privilege and the responsibility and honestly the joy to be able to forgive one another as well. Think about it. What does this world need now more than ever? It needs the forgiveness that can only come from Christ. And so therefore we, to this world, are his witnesses. We have such a unique life here in this church compared to the rest of the world. Only here in the house that God has built can you walk in being captive to sin and Satan and to death itself. And you can walk out completely absolved, forgiven of your sins, set free by Christ. And he has given the church pastors to pronounce this good news into your ears. He has given the church all of you so that you may remind and encourage one another of the forgiveness we have every single day in Christ. We are not divided. We are united because of Christ. What's more, Jesus has given his church his word of promise, which is attached to the water in that font. He has reminded us that we are made his family. There's no escaping. Uh, There's no attack on his family that can draw us away from him. He has given us his body and blood in this bread and wine so that we may eat and drink for the forgiveness of the sins. You see, what Jesus has done is given us the means to stay completely protected from any assault that the devil might throw at us. Jesus wants you to remember that the devil has no power over you. Satan may be a strong man, but Jesus is the stronger man. And every time you hear and receive and taste God's word and sacraments, you are actively witnessing Jesus binding and defeating Satan for you. Because of the forgiveness Christ has won and so freely gives to each one of us, we then freely offer it to one another, even to our enemies, so that we may be united with God and with one another. When we open our mouths, the world hears forgiveness pour out. When they look at us, they see a people that are markedly different than the rest of the world. And when we mess up, because we will, because we are still sinners, We come back to him. And here we are restored by Jesus. And we will keep on doing that until the day 
when Jesus comes back again. Because of Christ, we are now and forever will be a house, his house, no longer divided. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.